How could they do this? How could they make such a bold stand? They knew the God who does not operate like the false God that had been set up for the lies of this world. A God who does not operate on fear and threat, but a God who operates on something far greater. The one who faces the pressure from family or friends to turn aside from confession the truth can simply reply, I don't have to give you an answer, but I'll tell you, my God is bigger than you. He's not only bigger and that he's over all, he is bigger and that he operates not on fear or threats, but operates on love and truth. The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with rock solid hope in Rim Country. Daniel 3, 16 to 28. November 4th, 2018. We can certainly be made to do a lot of different things that we don't like doing when we face threats, forced into submission. Certainly, we've experienced this throughout our life. The young child in school might say, well, I better do a good job on my test or I might not pass the class or my teacher might give me a bad grade. Or someone might say, I better do what my boyfriend wants or he might dump me. I better do what my college professor says or I won't pass the class. I better say, yes, sir, right away, sir, or be dishonorably discharged and reprimanded. Threats can cause us to do a lot of things. What level of threat would it take for you to turn aside from following the Lord? This morning we see three men who face the greatest threat in their life, one against their faith. We see their response. And we also see how God responds on behalf of his people who are threatened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living in the land of Babylon. It was about 2,500 years ago. But they weren't there willingly. You see, along with many other Israelites, they had been forced into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had attacked the city and taken with the threat of execution or death tens of thousands of Israelites and brought them from Jerusalem into exile in Babylon to serve him there. And so with a sword hanging over their heads, we had, they had all the skilled craftsmen, the upper class people, the, the workers and the wealthy were all taken from their homeland. And meanwhile, the, the poor and low, lower class were left behind under threat to pay tribute to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among them. And they sat in the land of exile under force of threat with a new culture, a new language, a new home to live in. Trained in the service of the king, they became officials under Nebuchadnezzar. They knew what it was like to concede, to give up resistance because of threats. They had no choice. Now we see here in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar comes up with another tactic to force people into submission as he constructs this tower that reaches 90 feet high, this idol covered with gold. And then he says that when the music sounds, you can imagine it was an intimidating fanfare. When you hear the sound of that music, you are to bow down to that idol I've made, he says. 
And he gathers all the rulers, the officials, the magistrates of his kingdom, and orders them, when they hear that music, to bow. Oh, and just so people would comply, he attaches that ultimatum. If you don't bow down, you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. How's that for persuasion? So, he gathers his officials, the music sounds, everyone bows, everyone saves themselves from that danger he had threatened, except for three. Except for those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So when the king hears of it, he's upset and he calls them and he personally repeats his ultimatum to them. When you hear the music, you are to bow down to the idol I've made. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then he added, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Certainly, the threats these three men faced is nothing new. It's something that's always been going on in this world and still continues to this day. There are many who face real and dangerous threats for their lives. How would you like to be a Christian today in a place like Egypt, perhaps, where you could be told, convert, turn aside from Christ, or we can't be responsible for what happens to your family tonight? Would you bend? Or maybe you've heard in the news recently about Asi, Asi Bibi. Asi Bibi found herself 10 years ago, nine years ago, rather, facing jail an imprisonment, and a death sentence by hanging simply because she was a Christian. And for the last nine years, Christians around the world have been praying for her that she could be released. It was only just four days ago that finally she was acquitted. She was unjustly accused and she's allowed to go free. But the situation is so dangerous for her in Pakistan that this Christian woman can't leave her jail cell safely. And now it appears that she won't ever be able to leave Pakistan safely. What would you do if you were in her position? What would you do if you were her family? Would you bend? Would you say, just for this moment, just for this time, I'm going to step aside, compromise my confession? It's hard. And though it's far off and on the other side of the world, still threats come to us and threats aren't always so removed. Here in our country, there are maybe less dangerous threats, but there are other types of threats. Maybe not physical harm, but other intimidation tactics and other fears that Christians face. There was a woman who was part of our church body, and she sent her children to one of our Wells High Schools. And so she made a confession of faith. But when it came to running for higher political office, she quickly disavowed any connection or any association from her former church. How many Christians like her, when running for higher political office or another career, have a memory lapse regarding their Christian confession? Fears, intimidations, cause Christians to compromise their truth and what they hold to. And it happens not just for others, it happens for all of God's people as they face these fears and threats. Many churches have conceded and given way to pressure and compromised the truth because of fears and pressures around them. There are pastors serving in church bodies who, who disagree with the church teachings they're in but are pressured to stay. 
because they know they'll lose their pension if they leave their church. Would you stay? And then there are churches that, that know if they change their church affiliation and they leave their church body, that they'll lose their property and they'll lose their building. So they compromise. Fears, intimidation, still causes the truth to be stepped aside and pushed aside. And of course, those who give way to fear aren't alone in doing so. Imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is there in that land of exile. I'm sure that they weren't the only of those tens of thousands of Jews who were forced to bow down. And how many others did bow down? And we are surrounded by many others who compromise and who concede and who give way to pressures and fears. We're tempted to think, maybe just this once, maybe just this small time, I can compromise. After all, God didn't strike dead Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have reasoned. All the other people who, who bowed down, maybe he'll overlook this one. There's a real temptation. It was 500 years ago, well actually 499 years ago, when a man named Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest. And he had found the teachings of scripture, the gospel, something that he wanted to proclaim and hold on to. When he was summoned to a trial, he was basically told to recant the gospel, recant these teachings. And he was pressured, knowing, as I mentioned earlier, that the same type of situation before him, someone like him, was burned alive for holding to such teachings. What about you? You and I might not be faced with threats of being thrown to the fire. We might not be faced with such extreme dangers to physical harm, at least not today. But certainly, there are pressures that all of God's people will face. Picture the, the young girl who goes off to school. She leaves behind her Christian home and goes to a setting where maybe she's forced to confess her faith in an uncomfortable setting. As her teacher speaks about evolution, she's forced to say, well, I believe there's a creator. Does she concede to the threats and intimidations of the laughter around her? Or the young man who's forced to realize if he's going to pass this philosophy course, he's got to give in and concede to anti-Christian philosophy. Does he bend? Does he bow? And when you and I face fears or threats, whether it's from social pressure, whether it's from family pressure, whether it's from the people around us, how much does it take for us to just concede a little, just to make a compromise? When I look at the times where, where I faced the devil's tactics of fear and threats to turn aside from the truth or to be silent about the truth, I wonder, how would I stand up if I were to face like these three men did Real threats, real fires of intimidation, for real confession. We see the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the words that every Christian ought to have stored up on the tip of their tongue when they face such threats. They reply, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. and He will rescue us from your hand. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods, we will not worship the image of gold you have set up. You catch their confession? 
It's really a twofold confession. It's, I know my God is able to save me. My God will save me in the end. But even if in this instance I still must suffer, I will not bend. That's the confession of someone who knows something far greater than threats. See, why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how could they do this? How could they make such a bold stand? They knew the God who does not operate like the false God that had been set up or the lies of this world. A God who does not operate on fear and threat, but a God who operates on something far greater. They knew God does not desire worshipers who merely bend down in fear and because of intimidation. When Martin Luther was threatened, he stood firm because he understood God is not a God who only condemns. At one point he knew and understood this part of God, that God was a holy God. And he only saw God as a judge who condemns the sinner. And he hated the idea of a God who only operated on threats and punishment. But then Luther saw the full picture of who our God is, who does not desire worshipers because of threat, but because of love, who does not operate on lies and threats, but on love and truth and mercy. And he saw in the gospel a God who rescues his people. And Luther, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood firm in the face of threats. Azia Bibi, Many other Christians around this world throughout time and history stand firm in the face of threats. It's the same boldness to hold on to God's truth in the face of those intimidations and fears out of which our church body came. It's the same boldness on which we stand in the face of opposition to hold on to the truth of a God who operates on a much higher plane than threats. He operates on mercy. Because yes, it it is true, we do deserve to be thrown to the fire. The words that are used here as Nebuchadnezzar says, cast into the blazing furnace, are actually echoed by Jesus, but referring to the real fires of hell. He is a God who is over all. And the fires of hell are what we do and did deserve because of our sins. And yet, our God is a God who rescues in mercy. And God sees the sinner and their plight and rescues them from those flames. So that you and I would not taste the fires, God freely pardoned the sinner. And even for all the times that we caved in to intimidation and fear and did not fear, love, and trust our God, we are forgiven and pardoned. And we stand before our God, free from ever facing any fears or threats. And we serve our God, Nebuchadnezzar heard them say, the God whom we serve, not because he will punish us if we don't, but because he's rescued us for our sins, from our sins. We serve a God who rescues his people. Jesus, our king, came to bring about this rescue. And not a king who operated off of force or threats, but a king who operated off of love. Jesus proclaimed good news and freedom for his people. Jesus, our King, came to tell his people they have been rescued from the fires of hell because of his payment for us. He faced what we deserved. And now Jesus, our King, assures you and me that we will never face the flames of hell. It will not singe a single hair on our head because he has rescued us and freed us 
taken our place. And our living King assures us that we will be forever safe and secure with Him. So now, whatever threats come our way, we can say, not just alone, but say with many others, we serve our God. We will hold to his teaching. See, those three men might have seemed like they're very alone, but together they stood. And still today, God's church stands as believers together confess, we will not bend. We will not bow to pressure. We serve a God who rescues his people. So when you see the dangers come, remember their confession. Basically say, my God is bigger than you. The girl who faces the, the laughter at school can remind herself and say to those around her who mock her belief, my God is bigger than you. The one who faces the pressure from family or friends to turn aside from confession the truth can simply reply, I don't have to give you an answer, but I'll tell you, my God is bigger than you. He's not only bigger and that he's over all, he is bigger and that he operates not on fear or threats, but operates on love and truth. When you look at this, it's really quite ironic when you look at how the account ends. Nebuchadnezzar, furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and when he was furious, his attitude changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the soldiers, the strongest soldiers in his army, to tie them up and throw them into the furnace. Those soldiers who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in were burned and killed by the flames. What happened to their bowing down to that very God that was supposed to protect them from those flames? Meanwhile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked around unharmed, unscathed. God sent his angel to protect them. In this circumstance, God wanted his people to see. He rescues his people. And in the end, he will deliver them from every harm and every attack. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire unharmed. Our God is able to save us. We will not bow down. We serve him. They not only feared the Lord, they trusted in him and loved him. To worship the, the true God is to worship him as a God who rescues his people. Nebuchadnezzar knew threats, but he had gone too far. He had taken down the temple and torn down God's people as their house of worship. He had taken the city of Jerusalem and destroyed it. He had crushed the spirits of the people. That's not when he went too far. He had crushed their spirits as he had forced them into exile. But that's not when he crossed the line. No, he crossed the line. Nebuchadnezzar crossed the line when he had three of God's saints and asked them to turn aside from worshiping their God. That's where he crossed the line. We will not bend, we will not bow, and we will not burn. Our God rescues his people. Amen. Amen.